For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Mediators World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana. This is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. January 21st, the National Weather Service issued this statement via tweet. This isn't something we usually forecast, but don't be surprised if you see iguanas falling from the trees tonight. As lows drop into the 30s and 40s, brr, hashtag Miami or Miami. San Diego. Green iguanas, aka the chicken of the trees, are cold-blooded. When temperatures drop, they may slow down to the point of losing their grip and falling from their perch. Don't worry, if you're hit, there is, in fact, an insurance billing code just for that. Description is struck by other non-venomous reptile. Initial encounter. Do you think people are still covered in a secondary encounter? Anyway, Shortly after the cold snap, Facebook Marketplace started showing ads for iguana meat. The University of Florida cautions adventurous purchasers to treat iguana just like chicken, from preparation to cooking temp, as they can carry salmonella. If you need a recipe, just fry it. One time we got a hold of a bunch of iguana legs and thighs and tails, and uh, this was a few Super Bowls ago, and fried them. They turned out super tasty, tender, and yes, very much like chicken. This week, we've got elitism, corrections, bills, laws, politics, and more coyotes. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And, as you know, my week is sponsored by Steel Power Equipment. The folks who make, for example, my Steel MSA 200C battery power chainsaw, which for reasons I cannot remember, is sitting here on my desk at Meat Eater HQ, staring at me. One quick correction first, before we get into my week. I posted a picture on my Instagram account, Cal 406 and mentioned the cooking method sous vide, which I said in the post translates to crock pot in French. Holy cats, did that rile people up. 
So much so that I actually have to take up all of our precious time here at the Week in Review to uh, square this thing up. First, this is for everybody, things that I didn't know, and this is from a uh, well-writ listener. There is a pretty great rule for when you should pronounce the last letter in a French word. If the word ends in a letter found in careful, the letter should be pronounced. Note the accent on the E gives it an A sound. Think cafe. Now, the rest of the consonants, with a couple of exceptions, will be silent when found at the end of a word. Thus, when a silent E is placed on the end of a word, it is there to indicate the consonant immediately before it should be pronounced. Following this, sous vide should be pronounced sous vide. And what do they call it? They call it uh, Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. That's right. Second, sous vide does not translate into crockpot. It translates to under vacuum. Now, I was trying to accomplish two things with this. One, faire une blague. La plaisanterie. A joke, people. To make a joke. And to say that sous vide cooking is as intimidating as using a crock pot. In some cases, less intimidating. As you don't have to rush home in fear that your liquid is drying up. Before we move on, I would like to thank Josh Brahms of La Auto Brewing. And his 93-year-old grandfather, Don. Don Brahms, thank you for listening to the radio show. I do have to tell you... Don, my 91-year-old grandmother just got an iPad and downloads and listens to all sorts of shows. You don't need your grandson for this. Don't let her show you up. Anyway, it has been a whirlwind week. I went back down to Mexico, fished for tarpon. Best man to Buddy's wedding. Kelsey and Monica, congratulations again and best wishes. I know you'll be fantastic. (laughs) Then I hopped a taxi, a ferry. Another two-plus-hour taxi, two flights, and a rental car from St. Louis to Springfield, Illinois, where I met up with some old pals, Stephen Ranella and Doug Duran. Steve and I had a really fun two-hour-long question-and-answer, or Q&A session, as we call it in the biz, in front of a bunch of wildlife professionals and future wildlife professionals at the Midwest Plenary Session of the Department of Natural Resources, which I really enjoyed. Then we hauled butt and barely made our plane back to Bozeman. The next day, Giannis Patelis, Anthony Licata, and myself met up and attended a panel discussion hosted by the Montana Conservation Corps, or MCC. You down with MCC? Yeah, you know me. MCC does some great stuff. They get young people outside, teach all sorts of skills, and they work their butts off in the fashion of the CCC, or the Civilian Conservation Corps. Not necessarily building things like the Grand Coulee Dam, but clearing, building, and maintaining trails. In Montana last year, the MCC put 2,000 miles of trail under their respective belts, which is pretty darn impressive. That's hard work. Okay, now that everybody's received their due, I'm going to get to what I am wanting to get at. We received a question in Springfield, and I heard a statement from the panelists that were similar here in Bozeman. In Springfield, it was, don't you think hunting is elitist? At the MCC, the statement was wilderness. How elitist? Do I think hunting is elitist? No, I do not. I think we have a tendency to make anything we like to do elitist through the way people act and self-identify and sell things, right? How can I be the best if everyone is equal? How can I sell my stuff if everything is equal? 
I do think when this question comes up that we need to recalibrate our brains and realize that even though hunting can be done with a stick or a rock or a slingshot, barefooted and naked, this is not the way we typically portray it. Quick break here. Everyone needs to write this title down. The Rabbit Hunt. The Rabbit Hunt is a 12-minute and 8-second-long short film, and it's fantastic. Anyway, what we promote and certainly what we see in the news can be a stretch from normal, everyday hunting. Seeing Donald Trump Jr. or someone else in that tax bracket with a high-dollar species few have ever even heard of, like a markhor, is not the normal hunter. Far from it. Yet, at the same time, I have elk out my back door. They are very accessible an every season inexpensive hunt for me. For a lot of people in the U.S., however, an elk hunt is nowhere near the realm of possibility. Even for lifelong hunters, you know, they just don't have that access. So context is important when we're talking about elitism. And if you were to take one very common hunt in our country, the hunt for the cottontail rabbit, and put it in comparison to, let's say, jogging, something I think just about anybody can do, There are some arguments to be made that could angle toward elitism on behalf of the hunter. But if we focus on the bare essentials, the only thing separating a hunter from a jogger would be the need for a small game license, depending on your state. Unless, of course, you consider a good thumping stick picked up off the ground, the symbol of elitism in this case. Stephen Rinella pointed out during this talk in Illinois that hunting participation is distributed pretty darn evenly across income levels here in the U.S., That is absolutely not the case in a place like the UK. I'll tell you when I think about myself in elitism, a Montana kid fishing for tarpon in Mexico, that, my friends, is as elitist as it gets. Expensive is an understatement, and we put these fish on a pedestal. Unless, of course, you grew up with them stealing your bait underneath the pier. In regards to elitism in wilderness use, When the Wilderness Act of 1964 passed the Senate on April 9th, 1963, the vote was 73 to 12. It then passed the House on July 30th, 1964, and the count was 374 to 1. 374 to 1. This at a time when the good people at Webster's Dictionary report that the use of the word elitist was at an all-time high. Don't you think that if folks thought wilderness was elitist, In 1964, those margins in the House and Senate would have been a bit more slim. This is an irksome topic for me. I've fueled the wilderness mystique, so I feel a need to comment. All that is necessary to enjoy a designated wilderness area is the desire to go. If you are 200 feet into the wilderness, you are as capable of enjoying what a wilderness has to offer as the person 20 miles in. You do not need the lightest, most expensive gear you need the desire to go. Let's not blow this out of proportion, and let's not divide outdoor use amongst those with preferences that differ. If you want to be outside, that's what matters. Are you seriously telling me you are going to stay inside, curtain shut, if your horse or your mountain bike can't go? Maybe, but if that's the case, you can't tell me you wanted to be outside. A lot of people think that getting life insurance means you're insuring yourself for yourself, but it's actually the exact opposite. It's insuring yourself for your family. So if something happens to me, 
and I'm not around anymore, I can have more peace of mind that my family can have some financial support. And that's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. More than once in my life, my journey, people have described me as an independent person. And that's how I want to stay even when I'm dead. That's how I want to be remembered. That's why I have life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean convenient taste-free capsule find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. All right, that went way too long. If you haven't noticed, it is lawmaking time. But do not fret. The Weekend Review is going to stay focused on things pertinent to the outdoors. So buckle up. In this next segment, we're heading over to the policy desk. A bill in the Utah State House would prevent those behind on their child support from purchasing hunting and fishing licenses. This is not as groundbreaking as it may seem, according to the NCSL, the National Conference of State Legislatures. More states than not will suspend your ability to buy a hunting or fishing license when a person is behind on child support payments. Florida won't let you register your boat either. The only issue I see with this is for those who need a hunting or fishing license to work, like fishing and hunting guides. However, the fishing and hunting guide lifestyle probably led to this lack of funds and child support situation in the first place. Oops! If you're opposed to this and want to call your duly elected, just be ready for, you know, that follow-up question. A South Carolina bill, Bill 1042, seeks to amend a previous animal cruelty bill that did not include hunting dogs. The previous bill provides an exemption that excludes hunting dogs during training and while they are in the field. 
The fear on this amendment is that if a dog were to injure itself during a hunt, as they often do, I myself have had a few labs that got cut on barbed wire or broken tree limbs. Anyway, if your dog were to get injured during this activity, someone could, in theory, charge you with animal cruelty for putting the dog in harm's way. Or if you were to use an e-collar, E standing for electricity, and, you know, zap your pooch during training or in the field, this could even be considered animal cruelty. Now that scenario just seems completely unreasonable, but, you know, common sense isn't so common sometimes. If you are a hunter or dog trainer in South Carolina, you should call and stress the need for language that isn't so broad. All dogs are good dogs, but well-trained dogs are welcome everywhere. But there is also a limit as to when you use the stick and when you use a treat. Animal cruelty is real, so be aware of that as well. Over in Idaho, a state famous for public lands, a bill that is just in the works, meaning it has not even been introduced, would give individual citizens the ability to legally fight back against people who illegally block access to public lands. While this sounds like an anticlimactic deal, you are probably scratching your head even, thinking, well, of course. Is there no actual legal recourse against a person who would go so far as to exclude the public from public ground? Well, let me tell you a real brief history of Idaho trespass law. Up until just a few years back, uh, some would say antiquated law stated that if land was not legally posted, as in legally marked every so often, the land was presumed open to trespass, which was great to anyone who wanted to shoot through a small strip of private to get into a big chunk of public or, you know, take advantage of some good quail hunting ground every now and again. Very seldom did I ever hunt private without permission, even though it was legal in Idaho at the time. Coming from Montana, it just didn't feel super comfortable. When that bill was amended, a bunch of really crazy stuff, lopsided stuff that even the Idaho Sheriff's Association wouldn't support came with it. As it stands now, a landowner or land-owning entity can sue individuals for trespass, take them to court, lose the case, as in be wrong, and both sides have to pay for their legal fees. If the accused, the winner, wants to get their money back for their defense, they would then have to waste another bunch of time to sue the landowner. Boom! You can imagine this system could allow for some scare tactic nastiness for those who don't like sharing. What we are talking about in this particular case is a case of counties and their roads, sometimes seldom maintained by the county, but often used by the citizenry. County roads pass through a patchwork of public and private lands. In one of those patches, you could have a landowner who has both sides of the road. They wait for a time of little traffic, like winter conditions, when they install and close a gate that blocks legal access to public land. Slap up some no trespassing signs, make it look real intimidating, and then wait and see if people are willing to forget about that road. If that road, or what have you, has a long enough period of documented non-use, then that's kind of all she wrote. Currently, the people who commit these acts against all of us do not have to worry much about repercussions, only being cussed. Social outcry has managed to unlock a few of these situations, but there has been no recompense for the citizens, nonprofits, and counties who have had to spend time on these ultimately expensive situations. In some cases, if it were not for public use, the county would much rather abandon the road than have to pay to maintain it. So it is truly up to the users to watch for these situations. 
In one example, cited by Boise State Public Radio, a citizens group notified Bannock County, of which Pocatello, Idaho, is the county seat. Out of their 50 roads Bannock County lists on their website, eight roads have been aggressively posted as private or physically blocked. This isn't exactly the middle of nowhere. In fact, Bannock County has a population of over 82,000, which includes Idaho State University which means, you know, a bunch of poor college kids looking to go access their public lands, their hunting and fishing. It's also an area with incredible hunting and fishing. So back to this not even proposed yet bill. As it stands now, a first-time offender would get a warning, a second-time offender a small fine, a third-time offender a misdemeanor. In addition, private citizens could sue the landowner or land-owning entity if they do not open the gate within 24 hours of being notified. The individual in this case could recoup $500 or any actual damages, whichever is more, as well as their legal fees, which would put the burden of the access fight on the citizens and not on the county. I am going to watch this, you know, not quite yet a bill. I hope it becomes a bill, and I hope the good, even-keeled, sensical people of Idaho vote for it. What's more, don't trick yourself into thinking that this only happens in Bannock County, Idaho, or just in Idaho. If you come across a no trespassing sign that doesn't look right or a brand new gate on an old dirt road, don't feel bad about questioning its legitimacy. Use stuff like Onyx Maps. Know where you are and get a hold of the county clerk. Jumping over to South Dakota, a state that I admire greatly for the hunting and fishing opportunities. State Senator Jeff Monroe from Pierre, South Dakota, sponsored Bill SB 54 a bill that will take away the ability for any town to ban the use of single-use plastics, such as plastic straws, shopping bags, and bottles, commonly called auxiliary containers. Currently, people in America ingest, on average, one credit card's worth of plastic a month. We use 500 million straws every single day. If you are a rural landowner with a three- or four-strand barbed wire fence or worse, sheep or snow fence, you've likely gotten sick of picking up plastic bags that collect there. Unfortunately, it is unfair to you, but it's better that you pick those things up, because if not, they're going to end up in our water supply, somehow, some way. There, they slowly degrade. Microplastics, the degraded byproduct of these containers and bags, then make their way into the food chain from invertebrates to fish to human. We even drink them which is something no member of the hunting, fishing, boating, or bird-watching public likes to see, except for Senator Monroe of South Dakota. The senator says in regards to plastic coffee cans being thrown in the river, it really doesn't bother me at all, because it sinks to the bottom and becomes habitat for bait fish and crayfish, if you like to eat those things. Well, Senator, I really do like to eat those. I just want them to be plastic-free. But I do salute you for pushing this bill that essentially tries to freeze time. A bill that boldly flies in the face of science, climate change, and all the rural South Dakotans who have to take a day to clean their burrow pits and fence lines of plastic after the wind blows. SB54's main sponsor, John Wick, who I am guessing looks nothing like Keanu Reeves, so don't confuse the two. Excellent! And state rep Tim Rounds, both state economic reasons for the bill, which are real. Every place that uses auxiliary containers will have to take time to source replacement containers. This could be more expensive than the old plastic in some cases, and you could inconvenience customers during the transition. But that's exactly what SB 54 is really about. Inconvenience. 
not a senator's preference for slowly degrading bait fish and crayfish homes at the bottom of a river. We made the switch from lead shot to non-toxic, and the world did not crumble. Step up, not back, South Dakotans, and sportsmen who love South Dakota. Moving on to the law enforcement desk. Columbus, Ohio officer was bitten by a coyote during a routine stop to check on a stranded motorist. Sergeant James Fuqua said the coyote came out of nowhere and bit him. The officer then punched the coyote. The coyote ran off and then returned when more officers arrived on the scene. The officers tried to tase the coyote, why I do not know. Then they got the animal in a position to humanely put it down. They shot it. There is nothing funny about this officer being bitten in the line of duty or the three officers having to chase and kill the coyote. I did get a chuckle, however, when the very next news story that popped up read, quote, Courageous cat fends off three coyotes behind California home. Meow. A coyote was captured after biting a six-year-old child in the Lincoln Park area of Chicago and transferred to Flint Creek Wildlife Rehabilitation Facility. What the coyote will be rehabilitated to, or for, is yet to be determined. Maybe it can learn the error of its coyote ways and become a poodle. A DNA analysis determined that the coyote in rehab is in fact the coyote that bit the child. Because he bit a person, the coyote cannot be returned to Lincoln Park. This would be an appropriate time to ask yourself, what happens to a domestic dog that attacks and bites a child in the face? The coyote, which has now, of course, been named, will be kept in captivity forever. As a, quote, educational ambassador teaching the need for peaceful coexistence. Again, the child and his nanny were walking and the coyote jumped out and bit the six-year-old boy in the face. What are these people talking about? According to the Humane Society of America, urban coyotes avoid humans at all cost and only attack when provoked. This coyote was noticed several times by people on January 6th, did the biting on January 8th, Later that day, an unsubstantiated coyote attack occurred in Steederville, this time on a 32-year-old man. Then a dog was bitten and had to be rescued by two people. Then another coyote was pulled from Monroe Harbor. The Lincoln Park High School went into a temporary lockdown due to a coyote sighting nearby. Chicago, you think you might be sliding backwards here? Is the next headline I read, Chicagoans turning over their homes to coyotes and fleeing the city. That's all I got for you this week. Thanks for listening. As usual, you can always get a hold of me at ASKCAL at TheMeatEater.com. That's AskCal at TheMeatEater.com. Tell me what I got right. Tell me what I'm missing and tell me what I got wrong. If you want to leave me a review, do it by hitting that furthest right-hand star. I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and burnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more.
I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.